That song is, I guess, kind of like a theme song for me when it comes to this series, The Beginning and the End. That song talks about the old creation and the new creation and how we don't have any hope in this old order of things that we look around at us. Uh, we, are, uh, we are hopeful for a new creation, and we groan inside looking for it. Uh, so glad, glad to have all of our uh, college students back. There's always a major... Man, yes, I love it. Uh, there's always a major void in this uh, in this section. And just so you know, when y'all aren't here, people try to trickle in and take it over. So you got to get back as quick as possible and claim your territory. But uh, we're always always glad to see our college students uh, back with us. So uh, this sermon, if you weren't if you weren't here last week, this series, the beginning and the end, uh, what I've been attempting to do is compare the opening pages of Scripture with the closing pages of Scripture. We've been looking at Genesis, we're going to be in Genesis 1 today, we'll be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the series, and uh, we're trying to look at some passages, Revelation 19 through 22. Um, I will tell you, my intention was to spend like 75% of each sermon in Genesis and 25% in Revelation, and uh, man, I've preached through Genesis before, and, and I thought I could do it, but when I get in, it's just, it's really hard for me to, really hard for me to, to throttle back on some of the, just the beautiful things that we see in the book of Genesis. And last week, we looked at one of the most magnificent truths that we believe, the very first sentence of the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible gives us a radical truth of the origins of the universe and of the earth. It says, in the beginning God, he created the heavens and the earth. That's what we believe as Christians. If you can't believe that, if you have to, if you have to adopt some godless explanation of big booms and monkey men, then you're probably going to have problems with the rest of Scripture as well. We have a supernatural, not a natural explanation for how this world came to be. A supernatural explanation of an almighty, eternal God speaking it into existence. Now, we've messed it up. We've broken, we've broken this, good, this good created order that he's given to us. And as a result, uh, we, no longer hope, we, we no longer hope in this life for the things that God has promised. We are waiting patiently for a new creation that is described in the closing pages of Scripture, a new heaven and a new earth. And so last week, we considered in general the origin of, uh, of the earth and of the universe. Today, we are going to look specifically at the origins of mankind, where we came from, and what's our purpose. And as you're, you're going to see today, uh, that goes completely against secular, godless, scientific theories. And so I want to invite you to open up or turn on your copy of God's Word. Stand with us as we look at some great passages of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 26, and we're going to see where we came from. We're going to see how we, as human beings, came to be. We're going to see what the inerrant, truthful Word of God has to say about your purpose and who your identity is. The sixth day of creation, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every green plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Look what God said. Look what God says in verse 31. After he created the very first man and the very first woman, the thoughts that I believe that God has every single time that he creates a new human being in the womb, look what God said. God saw everything that he had made him. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God, we thank you so much for making us. We acknowledge today that you are our creator, God. There is no other explanation for our existence. There is no purpose that we have other than stated in Scripture. And Lord, we embrace these truths today and we place our faith upon them regardless of if the world would give us any information contrary because we love you, you are our God, and we look forward to you coming back and taking us to be with yourself. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as you can see, these, uh, these verses in Genesis that we just read, they are completely different than uh, secular godless scientists tell us about how we came to being. Uh, secular Darwinism tells us that we were simple organi- or organisms, we came out of the sea, we eventually became monkeys, and then we turned into people. But, the, but God's Word, God's inerrant Word, God's truthful Word tells us that our origins are something completely different. We didn't come out of the sea, we came from the dirt. Ladies, you were formed from a rib. This is what the scripture teaches us. But the bedrock claims of science tell us something different, something that I think is really more ridiculous that almost requires more faith than what we just read in the Word of God. And whenever I read a a, a secular scientist give explanations of human evolution and human origins, it does absolutely nothing to touch my soul. It does absolutely nothing to provide meaning for why we are here. It does nothing to give me direction for my life or for the universe, at the, for that matter. It doesn't touch my soul in any way or give me any hope or give me any direction. But man, whenever I read what we see in the Word of God, 
and how God has made all of us, not just Adam and Eve, God has made all of us in His image. This gives us meaning, this gives us purpose, this gives us direction for where God wants us to be. So what does that mean? God says several times in these verses and multiple times all throughout Scripture that we were made in the image of God, that we were made after His likeness. Well, an image, of course, we're an image-driven culture. We have screens. As a matter of fact, we, we have screens in our churches. We have screens in our pockets. We have screens in our houses. We have screens on billboards driving down the road. Screens are everywhere. We are a visual uh, culture. And so we kind of understand what an image is. An image is just something that represents something else. It's not the real thing, but it points to something beyond itself. Um, so if I were to even take a picture of you on my cell phone, that would not be you. That would be an image of you that draws attention to your characteristics or to your nature or to your appearance. Now, as a visual culture, we might tend to think that when the Bible says that we were made in the image of God, that that has something to do with our physical appearance, like what we look like, our, our, our visual um, appearance. Uh, that's not what Scripture means. To be made in the image of God is so much deeper than that. It's not necessarily something that you see with your eyes as much as it's something that you see as a pattern of behavior and a pattern of lifestyle, a pattern of belief. So to be made in the image of God means that we were made and created to resemble and to represent God on earth and of course, we do this in a lot of ways. We reflect his moral, his spiritual, and his relational qualities. So our character, the way that we live, the choices that we make, are, are meant to reflect God's nature and God's character. This is not true about the rest of creation. Only mankind is said to have been made in the image of God. This is not true about a deer or a buffalo or a bird or a tree or a star, as magnificent as these things are, or a cloud or anything else in all creation. It's not made after the image of God. These things were not made to, to reflect God upon the earth. We were created to do that. We see this in the way that we think and how we have emotions and how we make plans and how we make conscious choices, how we feel sorry for other people, how we feel sorry for ourselves. You see, you have a soul. That's not true of a tree. That's not true of, of, of a turtle. You have an eternal soul that is going to live forever. And it's either going, your soul is either going to live forever with God or your eternal soul is going to live forever apart from God, and you are of infinite worth. If you were just one of the billions of people that, uh, that started out as an amoeba and became an advanced life form of a human being, there, there, really, there really is no definition of a soul in that. There really is no purpose uh, that, that, is, that is behind that. But every single one of us, I wish I had time to really go through Psalms 139. This says that we are fearfully, wonderfully made. That God knit us together into our, in our mother's womb. And that all the days for us were written down before any one of them came to be. See, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that were created by God. 
and that we're meant to reflect the likeness and character of God, each and every one of us, every human being at conception was created by God and was given the image and was to be an image bearer of, of, of the Creator. And this has major implications about everything that we do, every category of life, everything that we say and feel. We could, we could talk about what it means to be the image of God by delving deep down into the details of our individual lives as disciples. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to zoom out and I want to use this scripture today. I want to zoom out and talk about just some major categories in which God wanted human beings as a whole to bear the image of God. Major categories. And one of them we see right off the bat, we see how we were to bear the image of God through authority. Let me, let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Uh, the, 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 really one of the first things that God said to man, uh, uh, both male and female, was to have dominion. Didn't say that to any other part of creation, but was to have dominion. And so uh, suffice it to say, let me just say this, God's character and nature is in his likeness is to be reflected through us as human beings as we assume certain roles of governance, roles of authority, roles of leadership and accountability in the world. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know, I don't hold public office. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, a leader or some CEO. I don't have charge of anything. It's not going to be long. And I bet you if you've really thought deeply about this, there are certain things that you are responsible to be a steward over, over God's creation. And so anytime uh, there is a management responsibility, a rulership responsibility, an authority responsibility, we are accountable to be godlike in the way that we handle that. And God's intention in this is that there would be unity and tranquility and peace and order within his creation. God created something that was very orderly and very tranquil. And he put, he put male and female, he made man and woman, and he said, I want to give you dominion over all of this order. I want you to manage it and steward it well. Well, as we move through the pages of Scripture, we see all types of things that have began to develop as far as human institutions and the systems of this world and family units and relational units and all these different things. And, and God's Word gives us direction as to how we manage those things so that there'll be unity, tranquility, and peace and order. So think about marriage, family, work, society, government, even church. There's supposed to be a measure of governance and submission so that it would all work properly. Is it all working properly? <laughs> Not even close. Man, we've messed, we have messed up in governing this great world that God has given to us. I mean, just, just look at the highest form of governance that we can see in society. Look at governments in general. If you trust the government, you hadn't read history. If you trust almost any government, you have not read history. Look at what we are doing to all types of institutions, 
within our world. We're, we mismanage, we so easily mismanage things. Even family units are in disarray, children rebel, marriages are in turmoil, government systems don't work properly, school systems, corporate systems, legal systems, economic systems. It's all messed up. We have just put it in complete disarray, and I think we could all agree when we look at all of humanity, and even whenever we look denominationally, and even whenever we look at religiously at church, I think we, I think we could say that mankind has gotten very good at mismanaging and doing a poor job of reflecting God's nature and God's character and how we handle the dominion that he's given to us. So that's one broad category where God said uh, that, that we were to have dominion. God said that we were to bear his, his image. And the second broad category that's mentioned right off the bat in Scripture is the image of God in gender. Wow, hot topic right here. Um, man, this is, this is something that's very much talked about in our day. Uh, if you want to hear a full-length sermon on this, you can probably go back into our sermon archives. You might have to go back about a year. I did do a full message um, on this, this topic in particular. But suffice it to say, in just this one point, in this one message, just briefly, um, that what we see in Scripture is that the differences in gender are a reflection of God's moral, spiritual, and relational nature. God's Word says that we were created male and female, two distinct genders, and really created two distinct ways. God created Adam from the dirt. God created Eve from a rib. They were created with different characteristics. I don't think I'm going to explain that one. They were built and created for different purposes. We're going to get into this whenever uh, we look at uh, marriage and different things like that. We're going to get into this in a couple of weeks. Different purposes and different roles in marriage. Man, this has been controversial for 50 years. So it's, it's become so accepted in our culture that a lot of Christians don't believe that there are to be different roles in marriage, and those different roles are to be based upon gender. This is so offensive to our world, but we see this in Scripture. Men and women are different. One has a Y chromosome, and the other one does not. That's biology, right? Is that biology? I'm not a scientist. I'll take your word for it. But listen, men acting like men reflects God's image and brings Him glory. I mean, this doesn't mean that we distort this, but men, you should take joy in your masculinity. You should take joy in it. You should be glad that God has made you male. You should be happy and pleased that there is something masculine about you, and you should never be ashamed of it. Ladies, it's the same with you. When women act like women, they reflect God's image and they bring him glory. Ladies, you should take joy in being feminine. It is godly when a biological female wants to be feminine. It is godly when a biological male wants to be masculine. It is godly for a biological male to seek masculine roles. It is godly for a biological female to seek feminine roles. We are not the same, and we should celebrate it. We should celebrate it. 
praise the Lord that my wife is different than me. I mean, for real. Now, we've messed this up pretty bad. And sometimes we see how it kind of gets messed up. Sometimes masculinity gets messed up. I was driving down the road the other day with someone, and uh, we drove past the country bumpkin. And this particular man pointed out to me that he recognizes when the country bumpkin rotates their dresses and the different colors and all that type of stuff. And I had to tell Michael Whitaker that I had some <laughs> real questions there because there has never been a time that I have ever noticed a dress. I have never window shopped at the Country Bumpkin, not even one time in seven years. And I'm not ashamed of that. I mean, praise the Lord, right, Micah? <laughs> Ladies, there is not one of you that has ever come up to me and said, Man, I just want to play nose guard for the Tennessee Titans. Not one lady that I have ever met. I mean, it, it, there's, just, there's just something about that biologically. I'm not going to say it's never going to happen, but you understand my point. Now listen, I, I know how controversial this is. There's going to come a time when I can't say that without risk to our church from a, a 501c3 perspective, tax-exempt perspective, or at the risk of possibly being fined or maybe even jailed. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop saying it, because y'all bail me out, right? I mean, because y'all y'all agree with me with the Word of God, so you're going you're gonna, to you're help me out. Um, but everywhere we see this is pressed upon us through government legislation, through culture, through, uh, through our government schools. Though not all of our public schools say this, we see it pretty, pretty much all over our nation being pushed at us. It's even pushed at us through churches and denominations. There are churches everywhere, including in this town, that would say it's okay to be homosexual, it's okay to be transgender, it's okay for those people to marry, it's okay to ordain those people as pastors. There are churches right here in our town that would accept that. And it's, it, it's, 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 really, uh, it's, it's really a shame. But just as I'm not going to allow a godless Christian to tell me the origins of the world, I'm not going to allow a, a, a godless psychologist or counselor or culturist define for me what is male and what is female and what is not, and you shouldn't either. This is one of the ways that we, we bear the image of God. He created us with those differences. And you say, why are you railing on this? Well, this is because of another broad category that we need to look at where we're supposed to reflect the image of God. And I call it just the image of God in procreation, but really we could expand this to, to, to family in general. We are to bear the image of God in how we do family. We are to reflect God's moral, spiritual, and relational nature through marriage, through family, and through child rearing. We should be different in how we do marriage, how we do family, and how we raise children. We should do it according to the Word of God. And children are a blessing. Amen? Children are a blessing. And some of you crazy people in here have had a ton of them. I mean, you have multiples, you know, like four, five, six kids, like myself. Kids are a blessing. It doesn't mean that they, that they don't wear you out. It doesn't mean that you don't get frustrated. But kids are a blessing. The first 
thing that God said is to be fruitful and multiply. This is the first blessing and the first direction, the first task that God gave to mankind. He blessed them. Basically, he said, you're awesome. Make more of you. That's basically what God said. He said, you're awesome. What I, this man and this woman that I have created in this perfect place, they are incredible. They are awesome. And I want more of them. So have babies. You know who doesn't like babies? Satan hates babies. He smiles when they're killed in the womb. He loves it when they're abused, when they're neglected. Because if you can take a small child and and you you can bring violence and abuse and bad child rearing and bad parenting and neglect, if you can do that to that small child while it's small, You can can very easily distort the image of God in that soul for a lifetime. But I'm so thankful that we have a Savior that can change all of that for anybody. But this is one of the ways that we reflect the image of God. We've we've messed this up pretty bad, hadn't we? we? We see children as a burden. I'm not saying we, I mean just saying humankind, mankind. Children's a burden. We don't teach our kids like we should. We don't try to protect them from the culture. Satan is constantly bombarding them from a young age, and we just open the floodgates through multiple avenues. We don't protect them. Moms and dads not relating to each other properly. All of this messes it up. If we don't see gender right, then we're not going to see marriage correctly. And we're not going to see marriage roles correctly. We're not going to love our husbands and wives correctly. We're not going to raise our kids correctly. And we messed this up pretty bad. We messed a, we've messed a lot of stuff up really, really bad, hadn't we? I mean, when we look at Genesis chapter 1 and we see all of the goodness that God created, and God stepped back and was like, oh, that is very good. And he, he, he handed us dominion over the earth. And Satan slithered in. We're going to talk about this next week. Satan slithered in and he deceived us. And he's still slithering in on us, trying to distort us and, and distract us from properly reflecting the image of God each and every single one of us, every single one of us has done something to contribute to this mess that the world is in. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have, have contributed in some type of way to, uh, to damaging the image of God in us. There is only one person who got it right. There's only one human being that got it right, and he was God, and that was Jesus. And we see God's image perfect in Christ, absolutely perfect. 
there's no human being on this earth that I can go to and say, well, that's a good person. I need to try to be like them. I, it's even difficult to get a collection of individuals. Like, this person and that person and that person and that person. I'm going to put them all together, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to be loving like that person. I'm going to try to be strong like that person. I'm going to be kind like this person. I'm trying to put it all together. We, we can't find enough people that we can mush together that we can use as a model that says, that's a perfect representation of God. We just can't do it, except for in Christ. In one person, we see God's perfect imprint. And this is what the book of Hebrews says. As a matter of fact, it says it all throughout the New Testament, that when we look at Jesus, and I'm so glad that we don't know what he, what he looks like physically, whether he had dark, dark, how dark was his skin or how long was his hair or you know, how long were his toenails. I mean, who cares about what he wore and, and if he had hair on his legs or not? Does it really matter what Jesus physically looked like? We know what he looked like as a person. And it was perfect. It was perfect. Jesus was perfect in character. Jesus had a perfect spiritual relationship with God. It's perfect. Jesus was, was relationally perfect. He never said, thought, felt, or did anything that did not perfectly represent the image of God. And Jesus was the perfect offspring. The perfect offspring. God promised Eve, said, hey, I'm going to give you some offspring and that offspring is going to smash the head of that old devil that slithered in and messed everything up. He's going to, he's going to crush his head. And he did. And he was because he was the perfect offspring. I mean, no other offspring past Adam and Eve was ever perfect except for Jesus. And Jesus was God's perfect plan to make more offspring. Do you know Jesus had a lot of kids? He didn't have a lot of kids biologically, but the Bible says in John chapter 1 that all who received him, who believed in his name, they were able to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus has lots of children, and you and I, we're a part of his family. Jesus is perfectly governing as Savior and Lord. And we can't see all the perfection now, but God has an awesome plan. I can just hear those trumpets now. God has an awesome plan where he's going to send angels and trumpets and Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be seals that are going to be broken just like in the book of Revelation, just like in the song that we just sang. He's going to come back. Everybody's going to see him. Some are going to mourn. Some are going to be really happy. Some are going uh, to have a great reward. Others, not so much. And I say let those bowls and let those trumpets blow. I say let Jesus come back and do away with all the imperfection and all all the way that we have messed up this world and end it all and just take us to be with him forever. One day he's going to do it. God's image fully restored. I don't have time to talk about this. I'll just show you Revelation 19. We're going to see his face. We're going to see his face. His name's going to be on our forehead. We're going to have white robes. We're going to be restored. And it's going to be so perfect. 
It's going to be so perfect. This life is not going to be. And don't you let some health and wealth preacher tell you any different. This world is, this world is never going to be perfect. You're never going to find it here. We have to wait for it there. Okay, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I want you to just, I want you to just talk to the Lord right now. And I want, I want you to pray a prayer of thankfulness right now. I want you to just tell the Lord, thank you for making me. I want you to acknowledge that you were created by God, that he created you personally, that he knit you together in his mother's womb. And I just want you to thank him for it. Thank him that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he sees you and that you are of infinite worth to him. Acknowledge that before him right now. Just say, thank you, God. And if you've never been born again, if you've never come to know Jesus as Savior, would you call on his name right now? Would you acknowledge that you've made a mess of this world, you've made a mess of your life, Jesus is the only one perfect, and would you look to Jesus right now? Look to Jesus right now as the perfect image of God and call upon his name and say, Jesus, save me. And if you're already a believer right now, would you just kind of analyze your life and say, Lord, show me what is distorting my life from reflecting your image.